I look around on iTunes every day just to see it, what's what's gone on sale and you know all this other kind of shit that they're throwing up there early or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, they have a uh, under twenty dollars screen icon bundles. Okay. And uh, it made me laugh because the first one is Tarantino, the second one is Tom Hanks, and then for God knows why, the third listing on here is a five film collection of Mark Wahlberg movies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what are, what's on there? Uh, Let's see. Uh, two guns. Nope. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, you don't know Mark Wahlberg's oeuvre um, as you should. Yeah, I'm trying to. No, I was trying. I was trying to pick out some of the the probably least uh, likely to be included films. Uh, it's a shooter, Four Brothers, mm. The Gambler, Pain and Gain, and The Italian Job. That's like, that's really not a good set. It's not. <laughs> I mean, I think I could pick a better Mark Wahlberg set. Yeah. You know, but like, even shit, just, yeah. I don't know, even just like five copies of The Departed would be a better Mark Wahlberg collection. <laughs> like, gift four to your friends or something. I don't know. That's pretty, yeah, that's pretty good. Oh, yeah, Bobby, I wanted to tell you real quick about uh, just one thing about the Final Fantasy VII remake. Oh, good. I'm glad you are starting with this because I have a segue into Spider-Man from your Final Fantasy segue. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, there are there Go. are some interesting similarities. It's it's funny okay. that, um, that you know this this happened uh, in a totally you know unrelated but happened around the same time as the FF7 remake coming out. But I just wanted to tell you about something that I thought was super cool about the game. Um, that uh, so okay so throughout the game. There's like there's these like ghost things that keep showing up, which were okay. not not part of the original game. This is like a new okay. thing, and um, they they kind of look like I don't know like like Nazgul but less scary <laughs> from Lord of the Rings. Ah. Oh, uh oh, Bobby. Oh, there we are. I can see it. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so yeah, okay. so they're kind of I don't know they're they're like these just like smoky cloaks that are like flying around and shit. And okay. they just, they keep showing up and you, you don't know why. Nobody, none of the characters seem to know why. It's weird to everyone. And, um, and, and you're not really sure like what they're trying to do either because sometimes they're clearly trying to help you and other times they're clearly <laughs> trying to harm you. Um, yeah, so there's these, so there's these ghosts and you don't, you don't know if they're trying to hurt you or help you because like sometimes they're clearly trying to help you out and other times they're clearly trying to hurt you or stop you or whatever, you know, you like, you don't, okay. so you don't know what their motivations are, or, like what the point of them is or anything. And, you know, so this keeps happening throughout the game and, uh-huh. you know, they keep showing up at like seemingly kind of like random moments. And, um, and then, so when you get to the end of the game, uh and you know things are progressing basically you know they've they've expanded on stuff but in general the storyline progresses precisely the same way that it did in the original game Um, okay you know with with new elongated and and enlarged sections and things kind of like tucked in in between that fill out the world and stuff like that but the main storyline and the main uh you know beats all happen the same way as the original game so um you get to this point where like you you kind of get to what you know is the conclusion of like this section of the game and and then you know is going to be the conclusion of this portion of the remake and um and then like that's when things start to get like a little different (laughs) again sparing you some details just trust me we get here where all right all of our characters are going into a black hole to literally fight destiny um Like, the manifestation of destiny. You end up finding out that these ghost things are called whispers. And the whispers are essentially, like, fate, in a way. And they're trying to move... You know, the reason they were interjecting at times was they were trying to push things a certain direction, as fate would do, Mm -hmm. or destiny would do. And what I started to realize at this point, that, like, what fate or destiny is in this story is actually the original game. Um, you know, oh, these characters for 23, every time these ghosts showed up, it was because the story was starting to divert from what happened in the original game. And these ghosts would show up and whether it, whatever it took, whether they had to like fight you to stop you from doing something or protect you to prevent someone else from doing harm to someone who harm was not supposed to come to at that point. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's why their uh, motivations were seemingly ambiguous, whether they were trying to hurt you or harm you, is because their their guiding force was the narrative of the original Final Fantasy VII, essentially. That's pretty cool. So, so yeah. And, you know, what I started to realize was, like, that what these ghosts really represented was, A, like, both the fans and the creators. Um, because this is the fans saying, no, you can't, you know, this doesn't happen here. You know, Reno doesn't die in this scene. You can't okay. do that. And so they're pushing <laughs> them in this direction. But also as creators, because a lot of the people that are, the main people that are working on this were the main people on the original game. So this is not like a bunch of random ass other people that are coming up and fucking with this. This is like all the the main three people like writer, director, producer, uh, character designer are all the the, um, they've switched roles a little bit. The director Mm -hmm. of the original is the producer on this one. The character designer from the original is the director on this one. Um, And then the head writer is still the head writer. Um, Okay. But so, you know, they're, they're playing with their own creation. And so you can understand, too, how this might also be, like, their trepidation when they were, like, working with the material. Like, what if we did this? That they'd be like, ah, fuck, I don't know, you know, and it would push them back, like, onto the path of, like, the original narrative. And so, you know, so eventually, so, you know, the characters through a, a couple of, like, newer things, like, one of the characters starts to kind of become not fully aware. Like, they don't break the fourth wall and say, like, there's this video game, you know? Um, they, they just understand it as like, this is like their fate, you know? Okay. And that this is what's, you know, been like pushing them in this one direction, but them as characters are trying to have their own agency and essentially have like their own free will. Yeah. Um, you know, so as a result of this, they decide to like fight, try to fight destiny (laughs) and like break (laughs) away from that, from that mold. And so essentially, like, the conflict of, like, the creators in remaking this game, the conflict of the audience with their ties to the original game, and then now the conflict with the characters against their own destiny are all the exact same thing. Yeah. So, like, the, the, the you know, uh, experience of remaking the game and the just entire idea and struggles of trying to remake something that's so beloved of this has now mm-hmm. also become essentially the conflict for the characters within the game. Yeah, um, which is just so fucking cool. <laughs> it is. That's really fucking. Awesome. I was just so blown away by all of this. Um, and you know, so so eventually you're you're successful, and then the main bad guy from the original game, who you don't fight until like the end end of like the actual game, he comes and just okay. confronts you at this point because he essentially like comes to realize that like there is a certain, you know, uh. uh timeline of possibility whereby he is unsuccessful and again this is a reference to the original game where he's defeated ultimately and so he again it's it's not fourth wall breaking or anything but you know the the villain essentially now understands that there is a timeline in which he is defeated and knows Uh. that if he progresses in the same way that he did in that timeline that he will not be successful so now he's going to do something different so essentially, gotcha. they've gone through this entire game, and then now what this does is it sets it up for from here on out, they can change anything. Yeah. Because, like, the characters, especially the the villain who's really driving the drama of the narrative because we're chasing after this guy trying to stop him, uh-huh. um, you know, now is sort of, is, is at least to some degree, we don't know how much, is aware of certain previous actions that he took that did not work out for his ultimate plan. You know, this whole ending, like, gave this whole thing a reason to exist for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I was enjoying it, you know, the hell out of it. It was wonderful. Like, it, But at the same time, it was like, you know, what's the point of just doing, like, a, a polished upgrade, you know, of the same yeah, thing? Yeah, right. You know? Uh, and they proved at this point that, they're, you know, that's not what they're doing. <laughs> nice. So, that's awesome. So, yeah. No, it, it really was just everything about it was, like, fucking outstanding. Really, really kind of a masterpiece, I got to say. That's really cool. Yeah, that's a pretty cool, uh, pretty cool concept. I don't know. Even to call it a concept just feels like I'm not giving it enough credit. Like, that's just a cool, just, you know, way of like preserving the past, but also forging something new into the future. Yeah. But also making you also letting you know, as like the player and the viewer, like, don't don't forget that that's still a very important part. Yeah. Uh, Or at least we're going to make you think it is, you know? Yeah. 
and it's and it's cool because it, it also makes it feel like the you know the characters have themselves have some agency in rewriting their own story you know that it's not oh just yeah that's like, true you yeah know, like the fact that this was their struggle too and they realized that they were kind of like tied to this one destiny and they just yeah. weren't having it you know <laughs> um <laughs> it's it's cool you know like when the game ends too and like after all this happens they're all very kind of like shaken yeah and kind of like unsure and a little bit like scared about like what comes next because they really are you know sort of realize that you know in a way yeah being tied to a destiny is like imprisoning in a way but there's also like some comfort in it and then now that it's like they're actually kind of like free (laughs) yeah (laughs) they're sort of terrified you know um yeah yeah but uh but yeah so it's it's cool so again it makes it feel less and less like it's just some people tinkering with this beloved thing because it'll sell and make more money and like you know like these characters actually kind of want to like i don't know live their own story rather than the one that they've been tethered to for the past 23 years right right on that note i'm bobby navia and i am dorian weinzimmer welcome back everybody to the couch uh episode 93 dorian 93 fuck yeah yeah that's ridiculous Um, (laughs) it is (laughs) it is really really ridiculous we're coming up on like there being like four straight days of us talking about movies on the internet we're almost to a week we'll get there (laughs) (laughs) we're almost to a week of content (laughs) yeah i know seriously we we will get there yeah Should that just be like the apex of this sh- of of uh, this iteration of you and I talking about you know film things? Is just once we hit seven full days of content, <laughs> we're checking out. <laughs> yeah, episode so what episode uh, one hundred and sixty eight? <laughs> yeah, something like that. I yeah. believe then. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, that would be it. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, because we we average about an hour per episode. Some some yeah. longer, some shorter, but I just I like to think of it as about an hour per episode. So yes, yeah. So once we hit one sixty eight, there will be a, a full week's worth of shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, today kicks off a, uh, a a three episode arc where we go through the Sam Raimi Spider Man movies. Yep, yep, that's right, uh, people. We are officially out of ideas for the show. <laughs> we uh, the count count the couch among the coronavirus victims because yeah right we're just like <laughs> these are just random ideas and conversation we're like i guess let's do that and see if it's interesting because who knows well here i want to start with this i want to yeah. start with uh my my fan my final fantasy connection to spider-man oh yeah what do you got it is that um, I went to go see that Final Fantasy movie, The Spirits Within, mm-hmm. in movie theaters. I'm sorry. And yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> I never played the game, so I had no, I had nothing other than like you know, cool computer generated in, images on a screen type yeah. of thing. So and that's that all any of us had. It was a totally standalone yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, no, I went to go see that. That came out in 2001, uh, July of 2001. And i that's where I saw the original teaser trailer that I sent you this morning. Nice. I got to see it on the big screen. And the teaser trailer, uh, it's on YouTube right now. I'll, try, I'll post it on our, our Twitter account. But um, it's basically a bunch of uh, bank robbers robbing a bank, getting in a helicopter, and the helicopter being pulled backwards in midair through... New York, and then being stuck in a giant web in between the Twin Towers. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't remember that uh, it wasn't in theaters for long because 9-11 happened and they scrapped all the... They, yeah. they, they took it out of theaters, like, real fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but, uh, yeah. Um, so that's my Final Fantasy connection to Spider-Man. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, that's funny. Is that it? Is, is that trailer? <laughs> I You know what? I probably saw the same trailer because I definitely went and saw Spirits Within uh, when okay. it came out. So I, I probably saw this, the, the trailer in front of that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, no, it was really well, really funny watching that because you sent me the link to it and I, I had totally forgotten about that teaser. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's just so funny because Sam Raimi did not shoot any of that footage. No. Like, that is not... <laughs> It's not. It's, none of the footage is from the movie. It's this uh-uh. completely, it, it's basically a, a sci-fi original movie version of a bank heist from, from Heat. 
Yes, you know, yes. That's like literally what is, I mean, the green screen shit is atrocious, even for like 2001 standards. It's very bad. <laughs> yeah. And especially for a giant budget movie like this, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, it almost feels like a proof of concept. It, it really like, does. It's weird. Yeah. I, when I first started watching it, I was like thinking, I was confused because... I was like, wait, was this a teaser for like when Nick Cage was supposed to play Spider-Man? Because this is a totally different movie. Yeah. It's like a totally different style and everything. It doesn't gel whatsoever. But then it's, yeah, the logo, you know, the the last shot of the of the trailer and the release date and everything. Of course, you're like, yeah, this is the one. But yeah, it's it is not in any way indicative of the film that was being made or got released you know was, i think they just had somebody else entirely shoot this thing i mean they had to have it's oh god yeah it's yeah. none of the cast you don't see spider-man in it um you know and it's just it, it is not a sam raimi production and it's fucking horrible it's very very bad um, um okay anyway so your special relationship to spider-man yeah. So, well, okay. So, well, I'm a Sam. I've been a Sam Raimi fanatic for a long time. Um, yes. Because Evil Dead Two is, you know, that's one of my top favorite movies of all time. That and Mulholland Drive are, you know, the number one and number two, and which order they're in switches, you know, regularly. Okay. Um, but those two movies are are top two, and and Evil Dead Two for me in particular was like that. That movie was, you know, it, it was really funny because my entire uh evolution as a film lover can be traced to that one movie in a lot of ways mm-hmm. we're like you know i saw it when i was pretty young like you know my dad was a big movie nut and so we used to watch all sorts of stuff that wasn't age appropriate and you know he we'd talk about it and shit whatever like we could handle it you know he knew yeah yeah he knew we were gonna be okay um if we saw some violent shit so like you know we like saw pulp fiction when it came out i was like 12 you know and shit like that okay i'd already been watching you know violent stuff and whatever but yeah um uh but anyway so evil dead 2 you know we discovered in like the blockbuster days it it had a cult reputation even then Uh um and uh so we discovered it and watched it like me and my brother and like my, all of our friends and stuff like that, uh, you know, would watch. We got really into like cheap, shitty horror movies and stuff like that. And Evil Dead 2, when we first found it, we just thought it was fucking hysterical. You know, yeah. it was just like really energetic and funny and so creative and just weird, you know, and there's all this amazing shit happening and it's just awesome. <laughs> um, but that was it. You know, that was like just appreciated on the, on that level. But, you know, it was one of those things like we'd watch it all the time and it was like always excited to introduce new people to it. Like, oh, my God, you've never seen Evil Dead 2. Right. And like over time, as I started to mature, because pro- I probably first saw it when I was like nine or ten, you know. <laughs> OK. And so when I you know got to be like 13 or 14 and was, I don't know, starting to mature a little bit, at least mm-hmm. uh, intellectually, um that I started to understand what a director's job was from okay. this movie. You know, it was yeah. like from watching this, I started to see like the ways in which this was different from a lot of other films and how mm-hmm. idiosyncratic it was and how everything that like, even some of the stuff that I thought was so cheesy and silly and just like laughable was yeah. completely intentional, you know, right. and it was designed to do that. <laughs> and like, you know, that was just such a like, epiphany you know and uh so you know when all of a sudden the guy who did evil dead 2 was making a fucking spider-man movie yeah you know it was like the coolest thing in the world essentially at that point um you know i was still pretty favorable uh in you know the superhero world like i hadn't been over it it hadn't been so like overdone right overindulged in that i got sick of it you know like Mm -hmm. like i have now um so you know this was like a big event i always really dug spider-man um, my favorite director was doing it. Uh, I was just couldn't couldn't wait to see what he was going to do, you know, with the movie. So, but I haven't seen it, you know, in in many 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 years. Mm-hmm. And um, rewatching it was one of those like really hilarious experiences where every single scene, as soon as like the first shot of the scene came up, uh-huh. I was like, I know every line of dialogue. <laughs> I know exactly how it's delivered. I know, like, these two weird little things that happen in the scene as well that I'm like, I still don't know why they didn't edit that out. You yeah, know, yeah. or like... 
You know, just all the shit you pick up on when you watch a movie ten times in, like, two weeks, you know, where you just right, pick right. up on every tiny little detail of it, especially in a theater where it's blown up, you know, it's giant. Yeah. Front, every detail is so noticeable. But um, anyway, so, so yeah, so it, it was just hilarious. Like, it just – everything came back to me. I wouldn't have been able to just recall that stuff out of thin air, you know? Like, if you had right, asked right. me about this scene, I wouldn't have been like, uh – Oh yeah, he says this, and she says that, and then he says this word this way, but she kind of steps on his line a little bit. And I think that might have uh-huh. been an accident, but uh, <laughs> you know. But then as soon as I'm watching it, it's just like I see the scene, and it all just comes flooding back, and then it all happens verbatim, exactly the way that like I remember it. Right, right. And uh, yeah, it's just really strange. I'm like, it's just this like this whole movie is just tucked away in my memory, uh-huh. like like in a vault, a steel trap. That's like it's <laughs> never. I'm never gonna lose those memories. You know, I can't always pull them out at will. Yeah. But if I have the right catalyst being the movie itself, then like immediately like that vault door just flings open. It's there. Yeah. The whole thing just comes pouring out, you know? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It was really, really wild. It was like, wow, I forgot how familiar I am with this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. My, uh, my Sam Raimi sort of intro and, this happens a lot with a lot of movies I tell you that I get introduced to, like just mm. as a young person. You know, it, it it wasn't Evil Dead. It wasn't until I met you in college at Flashpoint that I was introduced to Evil Dead. Like That's I right. can credit I can credit you with introducing me to that movie. Goddamn fucking right. Even in my twenties, <laughs> I was still like, wait, you never seen Evil Dead too? All right, let's go. I mean, um, I do that right now. I got I got a four K. I have two four K copies of it. goddammit. it. <laughs> And this segues beautifully into why I still love this movie. Woo! When I watched it again yesterday, I I was just like, this is fucking, this is still great. Um, it's so, like, pure. It is. It there's really, just, really is. There's, like, a really, like, well, the like, the first uh, Sam Raimi movie I can remember watching is Darkman. Mm-hmm. I, I rented Darkman a lot when I was younger. Yeah, nice. I just, so, I just soaked that shit up big mm-hmm. time. Um, but yeah, no, Spider-Man, I remember going to see Spider-Man in the theater as well. I was a junior or a, I think I was a junior in high school when it came out. Mm-hmm. So I was a junior in high school when it came out and yeah, just saw it a shit ton of times. I've, I've owned various copies of it throughout the, throughout the years, but yeah, yeah I watched it yesterday as well. And, um, I made, I actually like took notes during the movie. Nice. <laughs> some stuff was making me laugh. Yeah. And just, you know, like just being kind of nitpicky about it, but then, you know, just overall thinking about um, particular like plot points in the movie that I thought were kind of funny between like then when it came out and like now and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Make no mistake. This is a movie from 2002. Like, oh, God. Yes. It, it is. is. It yeah, is. <laughs> it, it is. It is very dated in some ways. Yeah. Um, but you know what? What makes it so good is it is a Sam Raimi movie. Yes. It is a hundred percent a Sam Raimi movie. There this is might, this no might be the compromising f- on that whatsoever. This, this might be the first time I've watched this movie since watching Evil Dead and Evil Dead Two. Oh shit. Okay. No, like a hundred percent. Like as I as like I'm thinking about it right now, because I've seen both of those movies, but I don't think I watched Spider Man afterwards so yeah. like i was i was paying attention to i don't know the evil deadness of spider-man like uh-huh. just just sort of like shots or just how stuff is like oh, yeah. ramped up a little bit or like taken yeah it was really fucking well, cool and even when it's just goofy as fuck yes too. like because i mean the 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 main influence on sam raimi is the three stooges Okay, all right. Like that that is his primary influence as a filmmaker is the yeah, three yeah. stooges. Like he's basically <laughs> always just trying to do three stooges moments. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and um and you can see it uh in so many ways, but but again, yeah, to to, to make my broad point, I mean, you yeah. know, to again, to anyone who's listening to the show knows my feelings about Marvel movies to anyone who hasn't listened to the show uh, I fucking hate them and Mm -hmm. what they stand for and what they do to the cinema nowadays and to movie watching in general and to viewers perceptions of what movies are supposed to do and to the availability of other types of films inside of movie theaters because nobody fucking goes to see them anymore because they're flooded with superhero movies all the time so that's it in a nutshell (laughs) and it has generally, it, and I, I feel like that is a big part of why I, I have not, even though I've always loved this movie, have not gone back and watched it in so long. 
is oh. because it's just like it's Marvel just has a bitter taste in my mouth now, you know. Okay, yeah. And uh, you know, even when I saw yesterday uh, the the logo flip up with all the comic pages flipping, yeah, and the yeah. Marvel logo like emerging out of it, I was just <laughs> like, "Fuck, god damn it!" Like, <laughs> it's like I, I have like a psycho, I have like a you know like a traumatic trigger in my brain now from seeing that of just like yeah, this yeah. is gonna be a bad two hours now. <laughs> um, so so yeah, it was just funny to see, but also like how innocent it was that like wow, little did they know what this opening would mean, you know, in eighteen years or whatever. But um, but anyway, so yeah, I feel like that's a big reason why I haven't gone back and watched this movie, and then now going back and watching it. So this is my you know my big complaint, especially about the Marvel films, is that they keep bringing in all this talent that you know behind the camera that I'm really interested in their films like uh, Ryan Coogler mm-hmm. who did uh, Black Panther um, I mean you know, Taika Waititi to some degree I think he's an mm-hmm. interesting guy at least but you know they bring him in uh, they brought uh, that woman uh, Chloe Zhao is coming in to do um, the Immortals or the Eternals some, Eternals yeah 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 um, you know that type of shit, and like, and you know, even Star Wars has done the same thing. You know, pinching like, uh, like Ryan Johnson and like mm-hmm. Edwards and these types of guys, and bringing them in. And you know what's what's happened is rather than getting a you know a Ryan Johnson film or a Ryan Coogler film or a Chloe Zhao film, we get just another Marvel or Star Wars movie that just has a you know, respectable director's name on it. But otherwise yeah, yeah. it's, they're all playing by the house style, you know, like they're part mm-hmm. of a big multi-billion dollar investment. You know, it's not, I wouldn't even call Marvel a universe. I would call it a multi-billion dollar investment. Okay. Um, and you know, when you come in as, as part of that, you have to fucking do right by that because there's a yeah. lot at stake here. That's worth more than frankly your life, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> so, and certainly more than your artistic vision or integrity. So, like, that's what you're beholden to when you make a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie nowadays is is that and mm-hmm. not your artistic vision. And, you know, watching this again was just like, this is why I fucking love this movie. Because this, yeah. is, this is an auteur superhero film. <laughs> you know, like, this is 100%. This is just like somehow... Sam Raimi convinced Sony to give him 150 million bucks to do what exactly what he wanted to do. Yeah. You know, and I and I think a big part of it and and this is key also is that his style is like tailor-made for this movie. Yes. You know, like everything about what he's doing works perfectly for not only a Spider-Man film but like an early 2000s comic book adaptation movie. Mhm. Yeah, you yeah. Know? Like, I mean that in terms of, like, where spectacle filmmaking was at that point in time, where superhero movies were at that point in time, where culture was at that point in time. Like, <laughs> it's it's really a perfect mix yeah. of, like, his style, the film he's making, and the time period in which these two things are happening or, mm-hmm. or, or converging. Yeah. And um, it's it's wildly impressive. Like, you can you can almost, it almost feels like they were aware of it and we're just but we're like so tuned into it that like even being aware of it they couldn't fuck up you know right like it just gave them more confidence in their decisions rather than like getting them to get self-conscious about like ah fuck we have this great opportunity are we gonna blow it or not it was like no they were just like on it Mm -hmm. um but anyway so to see uh you know this was it was just delightful bobby i had a i had a i had a wonderful time watching the film yesterday no, yeah, I really uh, being a being a fan of uh, the the MCU and being able to see like something that is not a part of the MCU was very. That's what made it so pure to me. Like uh, that's mm-hmm. initially where I felt that purity come from. Where I'm like, God, this is just uh, something that's uh, standalone, which I haven't been exposed to in many many years, and I kind of forgot what that felt, what it felt like to watch something just so innocent and pure and actually watch like a comic book movie you know because it just feels like a comic book um Mm -hmm. yeah uh, so so much more than i would say so much more than even like the first iron man movie does you know which Mm -hmm. came out i think in like 2009 like this feels like a comic book movie Mm -hmm. and um and so even even from like the opening credits like i loved the the playfulness of 
the letters of every of all the credits being you know spread out in spider webs. Mm-hmm. I was just like, this is just such a really fucking like almost like childlike choice. Like we're gonna have like fun with this. Um, yeah. and everything. And then like Danny Elfman's score to it as well, you know, is very, uh, animalistic, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> too. So <laughs> I just had like a great time watching the opening credits. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just had like this big grin on my face, uh, which was really great. Um, yeah, no, same here. Cause I was like, it was also the moment too, where I was just, it started to sink in how much I remembered about this movie, you know, yeah. it was like just sitting there watching that. I was like transported back to, you know, 2002 sitting at the fucking movie theater on the Madison, UW Madison campus, like, <laughs> right. you know, watching these credits, just like so fucking hyped for like what was going to come in the next two hours. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So one of the things that I one of the things that I wrote down was that everyone is like clearly like 30 years old at this high school, mm-hmm. which just <laughs> made me kind of laugh. Like the yeah. first time I saw Tobey Maguire, I'm like, dude, you are not a high schooler, but mm-hmm. it's okay. You know? Um, yeah, or Flash. <laughs> yeah, oh my God, yes. Yeah. Flash Flash might have been 27. I'll give him that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> what I really liked was, uh, it's a little bit further in the movie, aside from just the, the comic book nature of the origin story for Peter Parker, like when he gets bit by the spider. Um, also, all the explanations of like what the spiders can do you know, mm-hmm. in their like habitats and like why yeah. they're, why they're stringing together their DNA. The, the explanation of all of the superpowers you're about to have. Yes. <laughs> it was so good, dude. I was dying laughing. Yeah. No. Well, it's so funny. Just all the like computer screens also uh-huh. where it's like after he gets bit by the spider and he walks away and there's that one screen of like yes. the DNA <laughs> strand and, uh, and it like flies in and like attaches to the rest. And then it's like, it's counted on the right side. There's like a color coded thing of like, these are all of the like powers we splice together from these different spiders. <laughs> and then the new ones like latches into place. And then this like big red box comes up at the bottom and starts flashing. That just says new species, new species. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is one. Oh, I dude, mean, again, yeah. that, just, that it feels was stuff like, like that. That got me going pretty, you know? pretty good. <laughs> yeah I, I was like totally fine with it it just it felt like it was it was fitting into its style as a comic book film like so well because that is such you could see those panels in a comic book you know yes yeah um, yeah it definitely you know new species <laughs> it's like the last <laughs> panel on the page before you turn and he's back home and sick now and whatever but the one that got me was the explanation of the spider that can maybe border on precognition uh-huh i was like oh my god this is so like, good yeah. Yeah, his reflexes are so fast that some <laughs> researchers claim it borders on precognition. It was like, mm, spider mm, sense. Spider sense. I know that and then one. She, and then she said it, and I was like, I just, I kind of, well, I really love that scene. That, that um, there's, um, there's a couple scenes in the movie that feel like you can almost see how it'll, how, how it can split up uh, into comic book panels. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, uh you know, like when you're reading a comic, sometimes some of the some of the words or phrases are, um, you know, drawn a bit bigger and with more mm-hmm. like exclamation than some of the re- regular dialogue. So that scene to me, you know, where, you know, Peter's just, you know, trying to take pictures of the spiders and being bullied. And then like uh, <clears throat> Harry is talking to them and he's also trying to like IMJ a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. While this doctor is giving all the explanations to what the spiders, what their superpowers are, but like the moment, like it's always her dialogue is always just like um, underneath everything that's going on, mm-hmm. and like the moment, the moment she like highlights like a particular like Spider-Man power, like they cut to her, and the moment she says like Spider Sense, like they immediately cut to her, so that it's yeah. like an important movie thing and it's like oh yes and like uh-huh. i just remember having this like fuck yeah feeling of like this is so good this is just really 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 uh, you know fun way to explain uh yeah how spider-man gets his powers and stuff so yeah uh and then also i guess sort of um slyly introducing the one difference that he was going to make from the uh you know the original source material which would be that the the web shooters are an organic part of him now and not something that he builds right because in the in the comics he is not able to shoot webs when he becomes spider-man that's he as peter parker a brilliant young scientist (laughs) 
uh, invents little web shooter things. Right. Um, somehow. That's a little more... Eh, it's a comic. I think there's. Uh, I but, think the comic explanation or something was that he he was able to come up with it because since he's like part spider now, like he just knows the chemical combination to mm. make something. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's even more comic booky. <laughs> so sure, let's go with that. I kind of just wanted you to be quiet and then just go nerd. <laughs> um. But no, yeah, I heard that that was because uh, I, I, for like a long time, there's a there's an actual like I think it's like a 45 page uh, treatment that James Cameron did uh, okay. for a movie he was going to do. And he wanted uh, Leonardo DiCaprio to be in it. But that that idea of the organic web shooters carried over from his treatment okay, of them of them being organic. And it was just something when they decided not to go with with him directing it or whatever it was that uh the guy who ended up writing the script, David Coep, ended up uh, basing like his first draft off of the scriptment that he had, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, uh, it's it's funny too because I I uh, I never liked that decision. Uh, oh, the organic one. Yeah, to make them just part of his body. Uh huh. Because um, a, I mean, I I, I never liked it because a, I always thought that was a cool thing in the comics that it was like, yeah, he has these superpowers, but he's also like brilliant. Yeah, you know, and that it, rather than just become like a a random fantasy characteristic of this guy, like oh he's a genius, and it's like, but who cares? He's got superpowers, you know. It doesn't right, matter right. that he's smart, you know. But that his like his natural intellect was augmenting and enhancing, you know, the the abilities that he had. I thought it just made him a much more interesting character and more well rounded. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, it made his his intelligence have an actual you know part in the story being told rather than just sort of like a. Let's make him smart. For right, some that's reason, true. You know? That's true. Yeah. So I always thought that was like a neat addition to the character, or like a really you know important kind of defining part of him too. That like it wasn't just his superpowers; there was more to him than that. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like that gets diminished uh, in this movie as a result see of, that. of having those be just part of his body. Yeah. Because um, really, they all they use him being smart for in this movie is to be bullied. You know, yeah, it's yeah. just a way to make him a nerd. <laughs> right, oh, he yeah. likes science stuff, so he's just a fucking nerd. <laughs> you know, um, it never plays any part in the story or the unfolding of the story. Right, um, but uh, but also just you know with the whole you know adolescence thing, obviously, like you know origin story being a, a metaphor or analogy for puberty and mm-hmm. just undergoing these big massive changes and coming to terms with them and like your newfound abilities as it were as you mature and develop into an adult you know person yeah um of course there's that parallel with you know basically every origin superhero origin story ever Um, but this one also being in high school that you know the web shooters being organic are also just like i mean it's just straight up jizz like oh fuck yeah it's just him jerking off constantly like when his room (laughs) is covered in webs and he's like don't come in yeah yeah, you know it's like yeah (laughs) this is straight up like he's been jerking off all day uh been there done that (laughs) you know um so yeah just it's kind of funny and like in a in a way but also i feel like as the movie goes on it's it's more so like just kind of for the reasons i mentioned earlier detracts from his character a little bit yeah Um, yeah. but i get it as far as like being just an expedient for the movie that it's like we don't have time to like do that and explain how he invents this thing that's impossible essentially <laughs> yeah right. uh, you know and then the ethics of him not sharing that with the you know scientific community or whatever <laughs> um it's just it's a whole fucking can of worms um that i get it. they just don't want to deal with so they're like how about he just shoot shit out of his fucking wrists and it's like yep <laughs> <laughs> i feel like um, i remember liking the idea when i was younger mm-hmm. uh I, th- I think i remember liking it only because i don't know it, for me at that time it made it made sense since like if it was like really going into his dna like it would completely change like his physiology so i was just like yeah okay that makes sense you know whatever yeah um but then they tried to they they gave him web shooters in the andrew garfield remake Mm. and the web shooters come from a uh the the actual material comes from oscorp 
And I always thought it was like a really big plot hole that mm-hmm. like there's one guy g- flying around the city with something <laughs> one company in New York is right. making. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like it'd be traceable. I'm guessing it's one of those things that's fairly regulated. Who gets it? I, you got to fill out paperwork. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm yeah. sure a lot of people are ordering this shit. There's one fucking person that's flying around dressed <laughs> as a spider with it. But okay, it's fine. I'll give it sure. to you. Yeah. Um, also, I think one of the other things that because um, I agree with you of of it taking away from from him is that because um, I, I feel like at certain times during the comic book, like he would run out of web. Right. Because he would constantly need to reload it. So it was always it definitely sort of like upped the drama of whatever, you know, battle he was going through. If he like ran out of web and jumped off a building or something, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, did did he have more? Could he reload, you know, quick enough to, you know, web to another building or whatever, you know. So um, that was another thing I thought that was obviously like taken away from, you know, anything that was going on here because he would always have it no matter yeah. what. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also really disturbing if you start thinking about it. Like, where is all that shit being stored? How much is in his body? You know? (laughs) (laughs) It's just, yeah, it's just strange. Um, It's just, it's it's unsettling. It's like a weird body horror thing, I feel like. You know? And especially those, like, when he's first trying to do it, and there's, like, that POV shot of him, like, shooting the webs across the street. Yeah, yeah. It's fucking gross, man. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and and again, feel... Fuels that whole like adult, you know, uh, puberty riddled adolescent thing where it's just like when you're like, man, I'm fucking, I shoot jizz across the street <laughs> onto that goddamn crane over there. That's how strong my dick is. You know, <laughs> like, it just ends up turning into that to that joke that uh, Quentin Tarantino tells that in Desperado, where he's just oh, like, I bet you five hundred dollars that I could piss into that cup that, that, right over there. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Forgot about that joke. It's so good. It's awesome. Um no, I also this I'm glad you brought up the monster part of it because I feel like um the aside from maybe the real world applications of having a midlife crisis, I do like that uh Norman Osborn slash the Green Goblin is 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 kind of like a he's almost kind of feels like a universal monster in a in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh way, yeah, for sure. The way the uh, the split personality of after he undergoes the you know undergoes the procedure to test the um, to test the uh, muscle enhancers, which this was a this was a movie thing I had, which which made me laugh was that the military in this movie is hardcore pushing for human trials, and uh-huh. everywhere in all the movies, it's the one thing they don't want the scientists to do is push the human trials, but they do it anyways. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought it was just funny that this guy was just like, if you don't do the human trials, we're going to pull your funding. And it's like, yeah. someone could get hurt, dude. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right, right. Um, but anyways, I just wanted to open up the conversation to Willem Dafoe because yeah. he's he's awesome in this movie. Yeah, no, he is. He's got a... Uh, it's funny, too, because it, it almost feels like he's auditioning to play Joker. Uh, yes. <laughs> with his, his Green Goblin laugh is, like, is excellent, first off. But it is. But it's very Joker-ish, like, the, you know, towards the end when um, when Harry comes home and, and uh, Norman's just upstairs just laughing by himself, I guess. Oh, yes, yes. You know, but when you just hear him, like, in the distance, you know, in, like, another room down the hall or whatever, it was uh, it was a total just, like, I was like, is the Joker going to pop out? <laughs> it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it was great. I mean, you know, it's cool, the, you know, the, the parallel stories between him and, and Peter Parker is still great, you know, mm-hmm. just basically the same thing happening to the two of them, but obviously the way they react is quite different. Um, it's definitely, yeah, very much, very much, uh, implied that Willem Dafoe's insanity is driven by the drug itself, you know, causes right. this as a, potentially causes this as a side effect, but they, they do not leave it. Um, they do not make it entirely yeah, conclusive on that front. Um, he, he could have just been sort of like power hungry himself and yeah, just kind right. of enhanced it, you know, so, but anyway, you know, it, it's a great, it's a great hero villain, you know, counterpoint, Mm-hmm. Um, especially for an origin story. Uh, well, and I love that, you know, again, going back to the kind of body horror thing, like the first 20, 30 minutes of this movie kind of have like a strong body horror component to them of like yeah. Yeah. what's happening to me to like both of them. And there's a lot of like fragility with them, like taking, you know, just 
their shirts off and them being kind of like exposed or like even Willem Dafoe like being put under those like giant metal like bracers and stuff when he goes into the uh, do the um, procedure and everything mm-hmm. uh, uh, inhalant <laughs> superhero super <laughs> right, solar right. serum. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of elements there that, that enhance the idea of, like, the fragility of their bodies and things like that and are meant to make you, like, a little squeamish when it's, like, some foreign thing is introduced. They don't look strong enough to withstand these things, you know? Right, then, yeah, exactly. And then with the changes that occur and then, especially, you know, Peter Parker mainly with, like, the web shooters and him all of a sudden being super muscular and discovering, like, the little grabbers growing out of his fingertips and you yeah, know, all this type. yeah there's a much stronger like component of that but again you can see like sam raimi's horror roots there where when it first starts to like happen and take hold there's a real like fear reaction you know that happens of like this is fucked up you know <laughs> <laughs> um and you know it quickly because it's a you know it's still a blockbuster all ages movie essentially it quickly quickly gives way to this is awesome yeah right <laughs> but but you get like hints of that where you know like when when peter parker's having his like you know sick nightmare fantasies <laughs> oh yeah uh, yeah right yeah. after he gets bit and collapses into bed and like same with Willem Dafoe and shit like that there's you know there's some real moments there of um you know where where he plays that angle up a little bit you know more yeah. than you would expect from a movie like this right um which uh, I thought yeah, Willem Dafoe cool. looked I thought Willem Dafoe looked really the part I remember when I was younger watching it that kind of uh it didn't scare me a little bit but it just felt like very real was like uh um like Norman before he like flatlines, he's like having like a seizure in the, mm-hmm. in like the, the pod that he's in. And like, yeah. it's really like disturbing, like just the way he's like moving around. And I also just liked the, I guess now, I guess now it'd just be called like in camera, like the in camera sort of like Willem Dafoe, just like acting, mm-hmm. you know, like really like not having to, I don't think his voice was altered at all, like post-production wise, but that's just like another voice that he just comes up with and just the way that his body moves and everything like that as well. For a minute, like his, the eyes roll back into his head and he Mm kind of reminded me of like a deadite at one point. And I was like, this is just really fucking, you know, again, I was watching it through like the evil dead, you know, gaze Mm -hmm. a little bit, you know? So, um, yeah. Well, I really Peter's, like that. You know. Peter's like nightmare fever dream. Also, there's even like a skull that kind of looks a little, yes. little like the uh, cover art from Evil Dead Two that like kind of comes flying <laughs> at you and shit. Yeah, 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 little, yeah. Little flourishes like that that were really fun. What I wanted to mention though yeah. is because we haven't even touched upon this yet. Okay. What is indisputably the best part of this entire film, and that is J.K. Simmons, dude unreal <laughs> like i was, not even I was joking like like best supporting actor nomination i like i he should have gotten one yeah he should have gotten one he is it's, so it's crap 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 uh, mega crap mega crap <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's on fire dude in this movie dude, he's perfect every second of his presence in this movie is a treasure to anyone who's ever watched a film and said i think i kind of like this yeah you know it's oh my god it is unreal i love it like perfect casting um i remember even in 2002 i was because i knew him from oz oh okay uh the tv show so i was semi-familiar with him you know he he hadn't done as much as he's done now and obviously Mm -hmm. after seeing whiplash you were like this is guy is one of like our greatest treasures yeah um but I still was familiar with him. And, and again, like even in 2002 seeing this, I remember being like, that is some of the best casting I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Like, just yeah. Perfect guy for the role. Just <laughs> absolutely fucking nails it. Oh, and, God. Yeah, yeah. You know, just manages the tone of it like so perfectly. It's like he's not he's a total comic book character and like a total caricature. But you're like at the same time, you're like, but I know this guy. Yes. Yes. You know, like he still feels like a person somehow and not just like a total joke. Right. Um, even though he's hysterical and just amazing to watch. But, like, man, what, yeah, what a performance. <laughs> it was so, yeah, it was really, 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 really good. Yeah. And uh, just kind of steals the movie from everyone. I mean, it doesn't even show up till the second half of the film. Um, I also like the, you know, the um, kind of like 
how big of a shift there is in, in you know, the, the first half and the second half of this movie. Mm. Oh, yeah, 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 um, yeah. You know, it, it really is like the first half is, you know, like the high school, like origin story. And then we like move to the city and we're going to college and we're off on our own now. And then it becomes mm-hmm. more like it's a Spider-Man, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's really cool. And also just impressive, like from a pacing and writing standpoint, the way that they're able to like, I mean, this thing moves at a fucking really fast clip. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's a lot happening like from front to back. This thing is just like a fucking train, uh, just like barreling from, from beginning to end. But it doesn't feel like you're rushing through stuff. Like you've talked about, you know, fucking uh, Rise of Skywalker. Where it oh, just yeah, that's feels true. like we're, we're just like trying to check shit off a list, you know? Yeah. And this movie doesn't feel like that, even though it moves like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's just like, again, I think goes back to how, you know, every every little piece like reinforces the other pieces. So it's like even if we only deal with like a specific plot beat for the scene in which it's like narratively relevant, right. there's like echoes of it throughout the movie, you know? Yeah, no, that's true. So it never feels like it's just this one-off thing that just <clears throat> needed to happen here because the script said so. And that's how we get to our next like beat. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, you know, it's impressive like, like blockbuster screenwriting, you know? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, that's like the craft of it in a lot of ways is being able to do that stuff without making it feel that way. Yeah. That's totally what you're doing, you know? (laughs) Like, you're writing for economy 100%, but it's still, you know, like you, there's like the scenes of like, you know, Peter and Mary Jane talking in the backyard. And so, yeah. Almost more of the, like these like languid moments where it's like, oh, no, we're not moving at this crazy pace right now, but it's, we are, you know, mm-hmm. but it's it's doing it so efficiently and so well and breaking up all of that lightning fast stuff with, you know, moments like this where it gives the overall impression of, like, we feel like we took our time with things, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, we did get, like, a view of the characters. And, uh, man, I you know, it's funny, too. I wanted to talk about uh, that scene in particular in the backyard that um, it's, it's like a weirdly impressive piece of writing in the uh, most counterintuitive way okay um because it's not it's not like this great love scene or like you know this great moment between these two characters but it's like it's so perfectly like an awkward high school conversation yeah yeah Where like if you did run into the girl of your dreams in like your backyard when she just got out of like having a fight with her dad and you kind of don't really know what to say to each other yeah it actually plays that way really well. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. And it, it contrasts really well against the scene then in the uh, in the hospital when Aunt May is in the hospital towards the end where now he's talking to her again and, you know, he has this sort of uh, defense mechanism of pretending he's talking to Spider-Man instead of, you know, talking to her. Right, right. And he's still struggling to, you know, he's still like an 18-year-old who's struggling to understand and parse out emotions that he's feeling. Mm-hmm. And it still comes that way, like he's searching a little bit, but he's obviously, he's a little bit better at it, and he's got like a little more confidence with it, you know? And um, it's it's a really nice just like pairing of those couple of scenes where it's like you think, you know, there's a level of disappointment in that first scene where they're talking in the backyard because you kind of want him to like sweep her off her feet or be able to like say yes. something really like profound and moving, but he can't because that's not mm-hmm. really who he is. Um, and I remember when I, like the first couple times I saw the movie, I thought that scene was actually just a little kind of like awkward. Um, and I, I didn't really like it. And then I, uh, the, the backyard one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I didn't really like the scene that much. And then I, you know, I kind of started to realize like what its purpose was and what was really happening there and that it was kind of like meant to be that way. Um, another, mm-hmm. you know, there was a real kind of character moment happening there beyond just like you wanted him to be like, just, yeah, just get the girl or whatever. Like you've got this opportunity to say the right things and let's move on with the movie, you know, where you become Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <But> <laughs> obviously him, you know, being able to develop his confidence and, you know, then be able to express himself and, and, you know, uh, attract somebody that he cares for so deeply a little bit more effectively, you know, makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, so so yeah, but yeah, watching it yesterday though, I was it was funny just like realizing all of that stuff over again because I was like, yeah, this is like, this is like not good. This is like good writing, but like not good writing. You know, it's like a good deployment of not good writing. 
which makes it good. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. Know, it's, in, it's intentionally what it is. Again, going back to just Sam Raimi, like everything this guy does, there's a reason. It's that way for a reason. Like he knows what he's doing. Right, um, right. This shit is not going to elude him. So, you know, there's, uh, yeah, it was, it was cool though. I, I really appreciate that about it. Again, it's a little more, you know, it, it kind of just, I'm sure a lot of people just read it as like this cheesy scene or whatever, but there's, there's actually like a lot, a, a bit more kind of like packed into that. Um, then, uh, you know, you'd, you'd immediately give it credit for it because you feel like it's trying to be this one scene where, like, he wins the girl, but it's it's actually not at all. Um, when I was reading trivia for the movie on IMDb, I don't know if you went through any of it at all. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the movie got offered to a, a bunch of a uh, bunch of other directors uh, before they, you know, settled on Sam Raimi. But one of the directors they offered it to was uh, David Fincher. Mm hmm. And um, his his version, his, I guess that he he uh, he pitched was uh, he would have told the entire origin story in the credits, mm. uh, opening credits of the movie, and then he wanted the entire movie to be the night that Gwen Stacy died. <laughs> David, David Fincher is not going to pass up a dead girlfriend story. Like, come on, like. <laughs> With as much David Fincher as I've been soaking in lately, like that's all I've been. That's like what yeah. I've been thinking about is like what that movie would look like. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> be, yeah. Speak. Uh, con- continuing on the uh, the Evil Dead route, there was a new uh, camera that was invented for this movie. Oh yeah, yeah. There was a. Um, it was a. I'm gonna just read straight here from IMDb. Is a camera system called the Spider Cam. And it was mm-hmm. developed to express more of Spider-Man's world and point of view. It was able to drop 50 stories over 600 feet and with uh, shoot lengths of just over 2,400 feet or 3,200 feet shooting in New York or Los Angeles. So like those uh, and it could shoot at six frames a second to convey a sense of speed. The mm. spider cam was only used in this film for the final sequence and it was brought more into more uh, in use for the sequels. Wow. Yeah. So insane. Sam <laughs> Sam Raimi just fucking you know bringing another view of the world into the into cinema. You know. Yep. Just getting cameras invented for his movie. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that was really really awesome. Yeah, I um I think that a couple of the last things there was one shot I just wanted to mention that um so after Uncle Ben gets killed, mm-hmm. and uh. You know, the, he overhears the cops saying, like, oh, they're chasing the guy. You know, he's going down this way. And they show, you know, then Peter runs off. And then they have that shot of him, like, running through the alley as he's, like, peeling his shirt off. Yeah. That shot is fucking, like, that shot sends chills down my spine. Yeah. It's so good. Um, <laughs> just, I mean, just the speed of it and everything. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, the fact, like, where it's at in the movie that, like, again, we've got this momentum. We kind of know, like, we're moving towards, like, Spider-Man now. Right, you know, right, like we're yeah. becoming this thing, but just the way it moves from that like angled like shot dollying back of him running towards us, and then like swings into a parallel like tracking shot of him. Yes, yes. Behind all the fences and stuff that mm-hmm. it's like moving behind as he starts like peeling things off and like putting the costume on, it's fucking awesome. Like yeah. that is, I mean, that is such a great fucking shot. Um, for so many reasons, like just aesthetically and like superficially, it's gorgeous. But mm-hmm. I mean, just in terms of what it's doing in the movie and like the way that it's carrying us into, you know, the sense of vengeance that we want just as badly as he is until we realize kind of like what the downside or the dark side of this really is, you know, right, what, he's, exactly. what he's doing right here. But it's like, you know, that it, it, it plays on our excitement over seeing Spider-Man on screen in order to help us get into a moment that we as viewers probably already know is like a morally wrong thing, you know, because we know the story. We know that ultimately like he's wrong for killing this guy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And that he's going to regret it. And like, as viewers, we should know that. But when you have like this kind of shot that comes in and like gets you that excited, it like builds up that whole. And then also, well, worth mentioning too, that um, Cliff Robertson who plays uncle Ben in the movie is like, is like heartbreakingly sweet old man. You know? Oh my god! Yeah, like yeah. he is. I like you want to cry when you first see him in the movie because you're just like, ah, oh, god damn it! Like <laughs> we have to watch this fucking guy die. Um, All I can think about is him being the president from Escape from L.A. Well, that and uh, <laughs> he was in um, he was in Three Days of the Condor. 
Oh, really? Yeah, as like a oh, scummy, nice. as like a scummy FBI, like uh, or CIA, <laughs> um, like honcho. You know, that's awesome. That's really funny. Uh, but yeah, no, I, you know, so it's great. I, like, I think it just works really well, and it kind of like it tricks us into getting excited in a moment where we know we shouldn't be. Um, right, just because right. It, it's it's just paying off on such a specific like superhero cinematic superhero desire that at the time you know was was not being fulfilled on a weekly basis. So, I I you know now that you bring that that sequence up, taking it taking it further, you know, in is like those are all the first. I think those are the first times where he uh, really learns a lot more of the you know Spider Man isms, like how to swing from building to building. You know, and then when he's like stalking the guy in that building that he runs into, mm-hmm. uh, it felt it felt very. I mean, this movie came out before Batman Begins, but it felt very Batman Begins. Yeah, as well. You know, so like For sure. uh, this was definitely like the precursor to that, where you're seeing him like in the shadows or in the reflections of the lights that the cops are blowing into the into the building itself. Right. Yeah. And stuff like kind that. So puts you in that criminal's perspective for a minute. Yeah, right. You're being stalked by this guy instead exactly. of the, the movie where we're in his shoes. Yeah. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, man. Um, I'm really, I'm really happy we watched this, dude. It was fun to rewatch. Too. I am too. I'm. Um, uh, last thing I want to say about this movie too. Go for it. Is I really, really, really respect and appreciate the very um, personal and human stakes that the story has and that the movie has. Mm. The universe is not once imperiled in this movie. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> there is no alien. <laughs> um, there's no box that controls the fate of everything. Yes. It's it's just a guy who's getting fucked with, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he's got to choose between, like, a, killing a bunch of kids or your girlfriend, you know? <laughs> or right, right. the girl you're pining after, you know? And, like, that has so much gravity to it. You know, for me... Like, for me, that has more gravity to it because I can relate to that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I can't relate to the fucking Ultron's puzzle box, you know? <laughs> I've never I've never had to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I've cared about people before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know uh, several people who I would not want to see put in that position. Right. And to me, that does a lot more as far as being, like, a compelling kind of climax and a more suspenseful one as well, um, you know, because uh, I, I feel like the, you know, the stakes are something I can actually relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, but they still feel, you know, they still feel big. They still feel larger than life, you know, because obviously we're doing it in a superhero way where it's like you're holding the like high tension cable of a steel car. Yeah, you know? right, right. Like shit like that. So it's still very much a superhero thing that's going on. But it's like it's all about Peter, you know, and like what this choice means to him. It's mm-hmm. not just about like no guys we've got to band together and do this because it's right you know right for everyone you know it just it it keeps it you know for as big and like you know how epic the scope of the movie gets it's still very much like you know a story about this guy peter parker yeah and like that's what all the stakes and everything revolve around and you know for me again it's like that that had so much more weight in the climactic moments of the movie than you know the marvel movies that i have watched because Mm -hmm. all those are all about it's it's not just our world, it's all the worlds, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, no, 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 yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah. And, um, you know, it's just trying to be so big, so big, so big, like even bigger than the last one every time over that it's like, well, what is, I don't even know what these stakes mean anymore, you know? This is mm-hmm. just like, okay, well, just, it's just all of existence, okay? Like, right, everyone, right. And I'm like, well, that's, I don't know, that doesn't seem so bad. Like, <laughs> I don't, none of us will know, you know? <laughs> um but, you know, having to live with, you know, the person you love having been, you know, torn from you. Yeah. That sounds a lot worse than just everything stopping, you know? <laughs> That's what I feel like I remember from, like, you know, like, even when the first X-Men movie came out, like, it was it was grounded, you know? Uh, yeah. In a way, it was grounded in, in uh, like, politics, you know, mm-hmm. like, American politics. And then even with, like, this movie, you know, like... You know, when Norman, you know, spoiler alert for if anybody's ever not watched this movie, but, you know, Norman Osborn dies at the end of this movie. Like Mm -hmm. he and he remains dead. Like there's no magical thing that brings him back. And I think that's another as I'm saying all this right now, I think that's another just level of like purity the movie has that I haven't experienced. Like, don't get me wrong. I love the Marvel movies. I will go to bat for them whenever. But, 
yes, there's always a way that someone can come back. And like, I know that someone can inject this into somebody's body because it brought this guy back in this movie and that's what it is. But that's what I'm just like so used to in the current timeline with superhero movies that I don't know if we spent uh, a lot of time in a universe where, you know, when when a character died, like he or she died and that was it. Yeah. You know, and Uncle, and Uncle Ben's fucking dead, you know, dead, gone. He doesn't know? come back either. Yeah, Not, he's fuck gone, man. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, and I, I was <laughs> I was cracking up, too, because the uh, so the scene where um, uh, after Green, after Norman Osborn uh, is killed and there's the scene where Spider-Man is like placing his body, you know, in the apartment and Harry happens to walk in at that exact moment. Yeah. I was just cracking up because I was just imagining Spider-Man was like, God fucking damn it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like this dude hates me now. You know? <laughs> yeah, like, right. if, if he just hadn't seen me, you know, like yeah. this five second window of time I was in here. If this motherfucker just didn't see me, <laughs> no problem. He has no idea Spider-Man killed this guy. Like, yeah. you know, anything like that. There's no, but nope, nope. Bungled it in that like <laughs> 10 seconds you were in there, man. You just... You set up a whole sequel, you know. <laughs> Just had to fuck it up. Damn, so yeah, this right. One moment, yeah. <laughs> um, well, all I know, Spider-Man One is uh, streaming on Hulu and Amazon Prime, and obviously you can rent it on iTunes and 4K. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm really glad uh, that we that we watched these, um, and I'm looking forward to watching number two. Actually, yeah, I'm looking forward to two. Um, not so much three same <laughs> um i didn't uh so i mean two i remember being pretty good but i uh and a lot of people i know like really raved about that one but i remember feeling definitely like it was inferior to one okay um when i when i saw it and i, yeah. I saw i've seen two a, a handful of times um mm-hmm. and uh i like it i still think it's a good movie but uh i didn't quite have the same impact on me as number one did so i'll be very curious to watch it again and see how i feel about it this time I had the opposite um, when I first saw it. I thought it was, uh, I felt like it was a good sequel to number one. Like it definitely like raised the bar, mm-hmm. um, on a bunch of different, th- on a bunch of different things. Um, but I remember like really, really, really loving the fuck out of two, like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, so, but no, yeah, it'll definitely be fun to, uh, uh to revisit that one as well. All right. Well, uh, thanks everybody for listening and, uh, Dorian, I'll talk to you next week. Or yeah, yeah. This Wednesday. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. Thanks All for right. listening, everybody. Bye. Later.